Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Palette Exposure, featuring Alona Thompson, a podcast for those seeking the ultimate in wine, food, and travel. Each week, she interviews winemakers, chefs, celebrities, and guests that shape the way we enjoy life. Hello, this is Alona Thompson with Palette Exposure, and boy, what a happy Friday it is. They say, thank God it's Friday. I would say this is capital letters because it is champagne day, you guys. And how exciting is it that I'm here with the champagne queen, the champagne Blaine. This is her official name, Blaine Ashley. She's the founder of New York Champagne Week. And you haven't, if you haven't heard of it, then you should have. And I would encourage you to go immediately and Google it. She has curated this event since November of 2013. She's also a founder of the platform called The Fizz is Female. We'll talk about that as well. Welcome, Blaine. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here on Global Champagne Day. I know. This is like a happy day, and we could yes. use a lot of happy days, especially now. So, you know, I hope you guys embrace the heck out of it. I know that you have champagne in your glass, and mine's <laughs> chilling. <laughs> My bottle is chilling, so um, we're going to be champagning all day. It's, it's just what's happening. Happening, yeah. Um, so first and foremost, I want to get to know you. Clearly, you've gotten plenty of accolades, well-earned, well-deserved, top 40 under 40. Um, although looking at you, you look pretty, you're so beautiful and you look so young. If I was asked, I would not have said anything, you know, more like 20s, but you have a huge body of work under your belt. Um, so, um, and I know a lot of people have, you know, been very supportive and uh, have benefited greatly from your efforts. Um, and we're talking trade and consumer alike. Um, so congratulations on your accomplishments. And uh, let's just talk about, you know, what happened leading up to that. Let's talk about your background. I know you're from Hawaii, the beautiful state of Hawaii. Yeah. So let's get to know your personal story. Tell us about Blaine. Yeah, so I was born and raised in Hawaii, and that was pretty amazing. Um, it's such a beautiful place to grow up and so special and really, you know, it's unlike anywhere else in the U.S. And I think, you know, one of the things that kind of propelled me into the luxury lifestyle sector was the fact that Hawaii is full of hotels and restaurants and it's a it's a visitor destination so and people dream of going there once in their lifetime and for their honeymoons and stuff so for me to grow up around that atmosphere and my mother worked in the hotel industry when I ended up working in the hotel industry out of or during college um it it you're around things like proposals and champagne and beautiful food and drink and celebrations and Obviously, Hawaii is a dream place for people to get married. So what do people do when they get married? They pop bottles of champagne. So I feel like it was like subtly kind of influencing my career path more than I realized as I was growing up, especially with my mom working in hotel and hospitality. And then she moved to the Small Business Administration and then I ended up at hotels. So definitely that would be the starting point of where I um, was inspired to get into the world of champagne and luxury wine. It sounds very happy, like a happy world that you live in. For <laughs> Hawaii is a pretty happy world. It's a, it's a hard place to leave. Um, but uh, basically from that point on, I was at the W Hotel and um, at the time the W was one of the first 
luxury, like boutique hotels that popped up. This was around 2001. And um, a lot of films and movies were being made in Hawaii and television shows. And it was the hot spot. And they had a nightclub and all these actors came and all these magazines started coming to Hawaii and covering um, the, like, you know, the movies that were being filmed and doing like spotlights on the actors and actresses that were in town. And I was at the right place at the right time. And um, the magazine Modern Luxury was launching at a hotel called the Holly Kalani in Hawaii. I think it was 2003, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Mm-hmm. Maybe 2005, um, something, something around there. But um, basically the publisher just walked up to me and she was like, who are you and what do you do? And I was like, oh, I'm Blaine Ashley and I do events at the W Hotel. And um, she's like, oh, that's like the hottest spot in town. And she's like, you must know a lot of people. And I was like, yeah, I know a lot of a lot of people because it was the place to go. Mm-hmm. And she said, do you want to be my city editor? <laughs> I was like, wow. okay. What an offer. <laughs> It was, it was a pretty crazy offer because she basically kind of sussed me out and asked if I knew how to write. And I had gone to school for um, fashion, journalism, and marketing, and I minored in French. And um, so I did write a little bit. And I said, you know, sure, I can throw an event and I can cover an event. And so I covered events, restaurant openings, charity, um, charitable, like, parties. Um, and I did site reviews for the Modern Luxury Magazine when they came to Hawaii. And then... Um, Hope Living poached me from Modern Luxury a couple of years later, and that was on the turn of the digital age. And so we're in like 2008 at that point, and they were launching their .com, HopeLiving.com, mm-hmm. and uh, asked me to do the same kind of stuff I was doing for Modern Luxury. And then through that world, I started to meet a lot of heavy hitters in the wine and spirit space from New York while I was in Hawaii. And that then kind of brought me to New York um, two years later in 2010. Wow. So how was the that transition? You know, Hawaii is such a paradise, you know, and obviously yeah. <laughs> there, but overall we have a very rosy impression. New York is kind of hearty and gritty. Um, so I skipped a pretty big point of the story. Um, while I was in college, I ended up applying to a program in London at the London College of Fashion, and I was accepted and my parents were like, if you can figure out a way to pay for it, then you can go. And so I figured it out and I went and that was my last year of school. And then after that, um, sorry, hold on one second. After that, um, I stopped through New York and interned for a French fashion designer. Uh, and that was 2003. And oh. then, it, yeah. So that was when I did the summer stint in New York and I'm like, it was a great job. It was a great gig, mm-hmm. but I was like, I cannot live in the city and be poor. Like, <laughs> you can't live in New York and have no resources. So I quickly went back and opened up the W with um, the New York owner. So that's how I got connected to the W in Honolulu. I had met the owners actually in New York. And when they found out I was from Oahu, they offered me to go with them to open up that property as their second property. Um, so while I was interning for the French fashion designer, I got the offer to go back to my hometown to open up this house. Wow. Um, so I wasn't completely like, I, I wasn't foreign to uh, a bigger city at that point. I'd lived in London. I was in New York for a little bit and I was coming to New York often. And I actually had a stint where I lived in LA um, in between modern luxury and hope living. So there was a little bit of 
leave coming and going in between everything. Mm -hmm. But I would say the opportunities that really propelled me forward were actually, ironically, Hawaii based. So interesting because New York is a tough town. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. um, you have to really have some stamina to establish yeah. yourself. I had, you know, it was just meant to be. Like yeah. at that point, I had met a lot of heavy hitters. I knew the owners of the W Hotel. I knew the heads of Modern Luxury and Hope Living that were based here. I had met some really high up people in the cocktail and spirits world. I'd met Dale DeGroff, who's the king of cocktail. Julie Reiner, who's actually from Hawaii, but she's huge in the cocktail industry and she has Flatiron Lounge in New York. And she was like really crucial in, in helping my my smooth into New York, like my transition, really, um, really smooth. And she introduced me to almost everyone I knew in the cocktail and spirits world. Her and Dale totally just like put their stamp of approval on me. And I had an instant set of friends as a result. And then I kind of was more in the cocktail space at that point. And then I yeah. cracked into the, the wine space. It's so important to have a supportive circle of friends. You know, we don't yeah do things on our own when not islands so it's it's interesting to hear you describe how these people kind of like you said took you under their wing and really introduce you to the relevant individuals and such like that and help you establish that foundation that footprint yeah and i um so i at that point i had also met a couple that lived in Vegas, but they would vacation in Hawaii and they would come to my events when they were in Hawaii. And um, they had an apartment in New York that was sitting here empty, just sitting here empty. And they believed in what I was doing. And I wanted to launch an online publication called citysip.com, which I did in 2010. And it was basically kind of like a liquor.com, mm -hmm. but um, a little, a little more I don't want to say more fun, but it was fun. And it was like every, it was a little lighter. It wasn't just, it took out any snobbery, right? Sure. And um, the form of advertising, and I learned this through Hope Living and Modern Luxury, my form of advertising wasn't pay-per-click, which was very popular at the time. It was to do live events, to sell live events to spirits brands. And that's what I did. And this couple from Vegas really believed in what I was doing. And it was really fresh and new and cutting edge at the time. I mean, I don't think, liquor.com was even existed yet. I think I was a little ahead of them. And they offered me to stay in their apartment for a whole year, rent free, but I did have to pay maintenance. And it was a huge apartment. Maintenance was $1,000. But that still is like such a deal in New York. Yes. <laughs> so it was like the largest apartment I've ever had since I've lived here. And I'll, I paid maintenance for $1,000 and got my business off the ground. It sounds to me that obviously there's some happy coincidences, but also, you know, you started by really being ahead of the curve. You're mm -hmm. describing a lot of things that, you know, preceded what now is very common and well known. And you had the insight and the vision. And yeah. you had the drive. That's what these folks saw in you, and I suspect a lot of others. Yeah, I definitely wasn't afraid to take risks. And it's been harder as I've gotten older, obviously, because that's what they say. They say, you know, take the risk while you're young and you don't have a lot to lose. Um, but I, I don't know. I just, you know, at the end of the day, I just go with my gut. And every time I try to do something that's not in the bubbly world at this point, 
I get like propelled back into it. Like I've done some other side projects and they just don't work. And I'm like, okay, I'm staying in my lane and that's a bubbly lane and I'm not diverting from this lane. It's going to be just all things bubbles all the time. <laughs> that's, that's a very good lane. I, I would yeah. say well chosen, whether well, it chose you or you chose it, but somehow you're friends and I love yeah. it. Somehow uh, we're friends. <laughs> so there you are in a cocktail space, which my goodness, what a great, uh, realm. I mean, I know I'm enjoying it uh, very much. I mean, I, I went the other direction. I went from wine to cocktails. You went from cocktails to wine. Yeah. How, how did, you know, both are worthwhile and super exciting and uh, endless, endless possibilities and endless um, knowledge options. Um, how did wine happen in your world? How did it all begin? Well, I will say I was never really a cocktail person. Um, I definitely always drank wine like I was in London on my 21st birthday and I I would frequent this wine bar like all of my like roommates were going to like the clubs and the cocktail bars and I'm like I just want like two glasses of wine and I was kind of like a little bit of a prude and then when I got into the cocktail space honestly it was like the golden age of cocktail the time that I did which was 2010 and I had those friends Julie and Dale and cocktails are just like really on fire in the spirits mm -hmm. world they also had great budgets, let's be honest. So that I just saw a real marketability and ability to tell a fun story. And at the time, wine brands were definitely not having fun with marketing. Definitely. Yeah. Not. Um, so in 2012, um, I'm in New York, two years into City Sip, and I, a man, John Baptiste Provost from Paris and Champagne, reached out to me. And he asked if I would help him promote a portfolio of champagnes that did not have distribution in New York, in New York. He just found me on LinkedIn. Wow. And I was like, sure, like, let's go for it. Like, I just went for it. And then that was a great event. And everyone at that point had said, you know, it's interesting. I, we noticed at all of your cocktail events, you always have sparkling wine too. And I was like, yeah, cause you have to have champagne or sparkling wine at every event. You just have to like, uh -huh every single modern luxury event and whole living event and hotel event, you get greeted with champagne. So I implemented that into my model, not totally, you know, kind of unassumingly. And then one day um, a bar manager at the plaza was like, you, you're sort of calling me like bubbly Blaine. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay. Oh, <laughs> and then um, I did this event and I really liked it. And I kept in touch with this one man. And a year later in 2013, I was at that point writing for tasting panel. I had a column called sipped and seen. And I had another one in destinations travel called jet set sip. And both of those I created and pitched to the magazines for monthly prints um, distribution, which was really cool. Um, so a French marketing agency, so PEXA asked me if I wanted to go to Burgundy in June, 2013. And the answer was obviously yes. And my lease was up and I said, you know what, I'm going to just email every single brand that are wine, wine brand or winemaker or family that I've met in the wine business in France and tell them I'm going to be in France for the month of June. And this Burgundy portion was at the end of June. My lease was up June 1st. <laughs> so I just decided to, <laughs> I just 
decided to give up my lease and, and craft this like itinerary. And I started getting invites rolling in like hosted invitations. And I told everyone I'd be writing a story for tasting panel. And, um, yeah. And I crafted a month long hosted trip in, in France. And, um, part of that trip was going to Paris for a week and then going to Champagne with this John Baptiste Provost who I had connected with over LinkedIn and who was trying to clear champagnes into the US to source distribution. Um, so he took me to Champagne. I met all these amazing producers that I'd never heard of before. And then, so that was part one of the inspiration that led to Champagne Week. Then, before that, actually, before that, no, after that, I went down to Bordeaux for Vin Expo. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really have an angle at the show, but as I was in my hotel lobby waiting for my bus to the show, I met a sommelier from Sweden who was opening up a, a champagne bar in an opera house. And he said, do you want to walk the show with me? And I said, sure, because I had no angle. And we walked that show together for three days and only tasted champagne because of his focus, which was buying champagne for the champagne bar. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and as I was meeting all these grower producers and small family producers, I just said, aha, my aha moment, I'm going to launch New York Champagne Week. Wow. So a combination, yeah, and I did. And that was June and the first Champagne Week was November, which mm -hmm. is great. Not a lot so lead time. So yeah. I came back to New York with all these bottles of champagne. I bought an extra suitcase, um, <laughs> came home with all this champagne. I immediately went to have a 4th of July week in the Hamptons with my significant other at the time. We drank yeah. all this champagne. And then I came back to the city and I started like shopping for trademarks and domains and I got to town and, and I just figured it out. You just figured it out. So I hope you guys, you know, that are kind of thinking about a venture, a taking copious notes, because here's a woman telling you how she met somebody in LinkedIn and she met somebody, you know, waiting for the bus and she really parlayed it into a brand, into a business. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to be said for that, you know, because a lot of people I'm sure were in similar positions with you. I know when I traveled, you know, as a media member, you get exposed to some wonderful things but it's executing upon him is what I want to focus on because you did. You took that knowledge and that wonderment that was brand new to you is the way you're describing. And then yeah. you came home and you did something about it. And, that and not only did I come home and do something about it, I came home to no home. I didn't have an apartment. I had given up my lease. That's right. That's right. So you came home with the suitcases and what? Couch surfed, what happened? I did have a significant other at the time and he traveled a lot. He was in the spirits industry and a brand ambassador for a whiskey company. And he was just like, you know what? I'm traveling so much this summer. Why don't you just like stay with me for the summer? He made it very clear. It's just a short term thing. <laughs> and yeah, and, and that was really great. Um, I've never really relied on anyone like that in my life before, but it, it worked out. It worked out well. It wasn't it was okay, you know, yeah. but um, I didn't actually secure an apartment until September. And so it took me a while to like get everything in order. And while I'm doing that, I'm sitting on his couch 
and he he actually designed my first logo which is so funny it was terrible it was so bad <laughs> you know when you look back at like I've always had all these business cards and I wish I had one of every single one I've ever had and they just evolve and evolve and evolve and oh my gosh the branding for champagne week was horrendous I'm sure I can find something somewhere but you're oh. one so. um but what what was cool was you know Grower champagnes did not have a presence on menus and on wine lists the way they do now, seven, eight years ago. And so everyone that I featured the first year of Champagne Week, I actually got clearing houses involved to clear them, to fly them in from France to showcase them at the week. So everyone I showed the first year had no distribution in the US. Okay, let's, let's, let's chew on that for a second. So they were, <laughs> on your significant other's couch, no pressure. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> um, and you're trying to introduce American market to something they've never heard before. Mm -hmm. No exposure to, and deal with the logistics of that as well as the marketing. I, I need to know more. I, I mean, how did that all work? And I had like no money. <laughs> so yeah. like, I did it with nothing because like the trip to France was pretty much entirely hosted outside of a five days in Paris. I was hosted everywhere I went. Um, yeah. So I paid for five nights hotel in Paris and a few train tickets. And other than that, I was pretty much taken care of, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, I, I don't really know how it came together, to be honest. I mean, I really did focus a lot on my network at the time, which was the cocktail industry and spirits industry. And one of the first events I ever did was a champagne cocktail competition. And I got 10 different bartenders involved. And we did 10 different spirits with William Grant and Sons. And so each of them would draw a spirit um, two weeks before the competition, create a cocktail, and we'd have a panel of judges um, for that. And that was a really fun event. That event actually was the first we did that for four years in a row. Um, that was just one of many. But I did stuff like bubbles and burgers, the end, like, champagne cocktail competition and the winner we get like a $500 check um and I really leveraged my cocktail community into the first couple of weeks and I was thinking you know a lot of these like bar directors and beverage directors they are in charge of the wines on their list too of course and they they want to drink champagne and wine when they're not drinking cocktails it's like the cocktail it's like the champagne and wine industry wants to drink a beer or a cocktail when they're not drinking wine that's right. That's right. So I said earlier, I'm not a cocktail person, but I actually like since I've been back in New York last, I was away for a while. I um I've been like having cravings once a week for like a gin martini or a Negroni. Like mm -hmm. I want something like that <laughs> once a week because I'm just talking, breathing, just drinking wine all day long, and I'm like I need a little change. <laughs> and you guys, please notice she said gin martini. Yes. Not to me because that's the only martini I drink. And yes. this is a whole separate discussion. It just stuck <laughs> out to me. Um, so <clears throat> you pulled together that first event somehow, right? The very first. Yeah, event. I don't know. I can't tell you how I did it because it's like, feels like light years ago. <laughs> um, yeah. But I just slowly got the attention of the wine industry and started making friends in the wine industry. And started getting some respect, but it wasn't easy. Um, I, we've talked about this offline, but um, you know, uh, the champagne government did not like the way I was marketing champagne. They thought it was way too rogue and way too rebellious. And 
I got some slaps on the wrist and I had to like defend myself and write letters and talk about how I was actually like creating revenue and sales for champagne brands. So that was a lot to have to deal with. Um, you know, when I'm just trying to follow a passion project and, and I believe in what I'm doing, but it kind of only just made me get more rebellious and it kind of just made me want to like do even more outlandish kind of crazy concepts and have even more fun with it because I knew I was in the right. Like, you know, one of the issues that I got um, a letter about was the champagne cocktail competition, but all I did was just research the history of the champagne cocktail and the airmail and the French 75 and like basically wrote a detailed letter um, about, you know, the history behind champagne cocktails and how it wasn't a bad thing. It could be a great thing. You're expanding the audience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why is that not obvious to the proverbial powers that be? Uh, yeah. Uh, um, but good on you. I mean, yeah. the fact that you didn't get discouraged, um, the fact that it actually motivated you to do bigger and better. I'm, I'm pretty fiery and I'm also <laughs> a bit of a fighter. So, um, so I, I mean, I, listen, yeah. I'm, a, I'm just like, I've had to deal with a lot of haters and I don't think that you can be a female doing anything disruptive without a hater or few and um and doubters and um you know i've even had family that's been like what are you doing like why are you doing this like nine to five benefits or get married and you know it's just not my path so um not to say that's not ever gonna happen like maybe one day um i'll get a nine to five of benefits but i'm sure glad in this climate i don't have a nine to five that i could have been fired from you know you know you've articulated something that again is worth pausing on and highlighting you knew yourself enough to knew what was not your fit at, at the time in that particular iteration in your world and mm -hmm. that's huge and you overcame a lot of obstacles as a result of that faith that internal connection that you had with yourself that said blaine this way not that way don't mm -hmm. go the convention don't pursue things that other people think you should be doing you know mm -hmm. forget the naysayers forget the doubters yeah, this internal strength, core strength, I would say, that moved you in the direction in, that embraced your vision for yourself, even though it was freaking difficult mm -hmm. and, and wrought with difficult. obstacles. <laughs> it's so difficult. I mean, you know, it's just people always have an opinion and I try not to tell people what to do. I try to encourage like people if they have an idea, I'm like, do it, do it, do it. You know, like, don't sit on it because, you know, I had had a mentor when I came up with the idea for Champagne Week. He was a VP of a spirits company, a very big spirits company. And when I came back from France and I told him my idea for Champagne Week, he was like, are you crazy? Like that's a few months, you have to wait a year. You have to build it out for a year. And I said, absolutely not. Because if I do that, then someone else will do it. And so yeah. despite his advice, I did it. And sure enough, the next year, someone did it. Two people, two companies did it, um, or one individual and then one major, major champagne um, house, Maison, a large Maison. Um, and they did con like similar concepts. And not only like, did they just do them, they did them like surrounding my week. Mm -hmm. wow. Like it was like one on the front end, one on the back end. And I'm this like little oh tiny thing. And so... 
after that happened year two, I was at dinner with that same mentor. And he said, you know what, last year I said, wait, this year I say expand, expand, expand. Awesome. See, again, you had this real connection to your mm -hmm. own vision because this is a big deal when somebody with the authority, the, you know, the wealth of professional experience, mm -hmm. his opinion you trust, he wouldn't be your mentor, says, hold up. And, and you went for it anyway. Where, where does that come from? I don't, my parents don't know. I don't know. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's an origin of it someplace. Um, and, well, and I haven't met it. We have a very tight knit family. Like we don't have like that huge extended family. It's really yeah. just us and my sister yeah. and like my aunt and uncles, like on one side. Yeah. Um, but I do know that one of my cousins, um, my, my mom has two sisters and the cousins on the west coast the one guy he's like he and i are like kindred spirits i mean we're totally like we speak the same language because he's gone off and like written his own book and he does like he wants to get into like movie production he just kind of is a, a free spirit like that um and really creative so he speaks my language but we don't know where we came from wow <laughs> no i it, i think if it, it you were to be bottled, that quality with all own our world. So that's what I'm getting at. It's such an important quality. You you happen to populate the champagne space and others that you know you've chosen for yourself. But yes. the fact that you give yourself permission to go after it at full speed. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean it's scary. It's scary. <laughs> yes, it is. And it comes with a lot of sacrifice. It comes with a lot of sacrifice. Like this time of year, I always lose a few friends and I'm like, okay, well, if you don't get it, if you can't like, like I've ended relationships like around champagne week, I'm like, this is, this is my baby. This is the baby. I, this is my bubbly baby. I mean, I have put so much into this and I have sacrificed holidays at home. Like my family, you know, they're, they were in Hawaii. They've now moved to the East coast, um, just within the last year, but I, I wouldn't go home for the holidays because it's, extremely expensive to go to Hawaii in December and you know it didn't really make sense when I would always be doing like a new year's champagne focused party back in New York so I spent like five Christmases alone um and I say no a lot this time of year I mean I'm literally like a machine this time of year and I let myself go out to dinner once a week with a girlfriend and I pick up like a very supportive friend. Like I, I am cautious of who I'm around because I don't need people that are going to like naysay or tell me like what I'm doing is stupid or tell me how, how to do something. I'm like, no, <laughs> just be supportive yeah. <laughs> you know? because it's so like, I already am the hardest. I'm hard on myself, even though I seem to like take risk and just be very laissez faire. Like I'm very hard on myself and mm -hmm. I'm always like wondering if like, you know, it's like, Trust me, I'm hard enough on myself. I don't need to hear it from other people. Yeah. Well, I understand all about yourself. <laughs> so uh, for what it's worth, you know, I understand what it's like to be your own harshest critic. Um, yeah. But the thing is, the reward is that mm -hmm. you know deep down that what you're doing is right. It's creating value. Yeah, no, definitely. And especially this year. Um, this year has been... Who knew that during a global pandemic and after our tariffs issue in the last year mm -hmm. that yeah. my platform, 
platforms would have an opportunity to not only expand, but like thrive and, and that I'd get to get more creative with my concepts because that's been happening. It's been really fun this year. Wow. No, we definitely need to talk a lot about that. First of all, congratulations on seven years of success. Thank you. How many startups fail in every industry, but particularly in, in our industry. Um, so obviously you've grown it. Yeah. Over that time, you've expanded you, your voice, your presence, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of develop its own momentum. Is that the case? Yeah. Um, so we were complimentary to trade and media the first like four years. Mm -hmm. That's what I wanted the event to be. I wanted to be able to connect brands and producers to sommeliers, buyers, influencers, media. I mean, mm -hmm. again, like when I launched Champagne Week, like Instagram had just launched. So it, that was not from a, a vehicle for promoting this week at all. That was not mm -hmm. in my strategy. It's still not really in my strategy, to be honest. I don't have a gigantic presence on social media. Um, but initially it was to connect, yeah, the brands to the buyers and the decision makers. And then mm -hmm. year five, you know, it was kind of interesting because I'd be out. And even though most of my world is in this business, you know, you'd meet someone not in the business and they'd be like, well, what do you do? And I'm like, the founder of Champagne Week. They're like, well, can we come? And I was like, no, like, because like, I had nothing for them because I didn't do events that were for, you know, the consumer. Yeah. And I slowly started to add some concepts in for the consumers. And that's always, that was always really challenging. Um, but this year, well, last year, um, someone from UBS caught wind of an event I was doing and they came to it. Um, and a couple days later, um, they called me and asked if I would start designing event concepts for their ultra high net worth female clientele. Very exciting. So that kind of opened up this whole other world for me. And that was after last year's Champagne Week where I'm like, that's how I want to cater to the consumer. I want to have this like built in target demographic that I reach out to. So it's like, you know, I've got these groups of women at UBS and I just did an event with them today. And I have one on November 18th. Um, they can't client entertain right now. So that's a great, a great thing for them is virtual events and virtual mm -hmm. tastings. Um, think about all these like members only clubs. So in the last couple of years, I was taking the champagne experience to members only clubs like Soho House. And I was taking them to luxury buildings that have lifestyle directors. And that's how I was getting my exposure to the clientele that actually would drink champagne year round, not just a one-off thing. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that I blast on social media um, to try and get like maybe a customer who's just fleeting. I want someone that I can message all the time and that will, you know, be a year round customer, not just during champagne week. Um, so when this all happened, companies like that were reaching out to me to plan virtual tastings for their residents or their clientele or their network. And that's been super amazing because that's the type of person that actually buys champagne. Um, Absolutely. Now those evergreen relationships is what you're describing, fostering them, nurturing them. That's very rewarding. And it makes a ton of business sense. Yeah, we're doing an event for UBS, 100 Women in Finance, Northeast Division, um, on November 18th called Fromage and Fizz. And I'm doing like two champagnes, four cheeses. We're shipping everything to all the 
the clients. And um, I have the brand owner uh, that's going to be on the call. And we're just going to talk to them about the business of champagne and lead them to the tasting. And that's just a lot of fun. And one of the clients is Jewish and they asked for a kosher option and the cheese purveyor I'm working with doesn't do kosher cheese, but I just found them another option and they're getting a kosher package of cheese and breads and spreads and all that stuff. So it's been really fun to not only get to keep your creativity going, but I, the customization options are really endless. And that goes back to my hotel experience, you know? Kind of like being a concierge. It's like, okay, well, what do they want to do? Let's create their perfect itinerary. Um, so yeah, super fun. No, it is. And I have to ask because it's been um, in my head ever since you mentioned, it. you said that when you, um, there was pushback and, and you got a little shade from certain entities, it inspired you to do something even more outrageous and outlandish and creative. What is the most creative version of that that you can share with us what have you done that's like so different well where things turned around for me was when I got the 40 under 40 and wine enthusiasts so that was the year I decided to be like really cheeky with my concepts <laughs> and I did an event called let's get physical like f-i-z-z-e-l-e uh, and yeah. then I did an event called back that glass up nice so a glassware comparative tasting, but I called it that, you know? And so um, wine enthusiasts wrote about it. And that's what they said. They were like champagne queen, fun concepts, like let's get physical and back that glass up. up. And that's when I started to get the love. So it's like three, well, going into four years in. Yes. And um, it was super fun. So that would be like something I would do. Um, this year, can I talk about the events? Oh my the God. conclusion of this interview can be found in the next episode. Thanks again for tuning into the official podcast of Palette Exposure featuring Alona Thompson.